What's up? Not much. Um, so I was, I had sushi yesterday uh-huh. and I was thinking, have you ever had non-vegetarian slash vegan sushi? No. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. Never. I, I, I don't know. I don't like seafood. I don't like a ton of like seafood type stuff. In fact, there's a lot of seafood type stuff in sushi. And so I'm like, ugh. Sushi is like all seafood. Yeah. It's just ugh, grosses me out. Really, man, I love it. It's like top three foods. Really? I mean, okay, so there's yeah. some sushi that I have had, like some vegan sushi that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this shit called anari that this sushi mm-hmm. place makes, and it's super fucking good. I love that shit. But like, I don't like a lot of regular sushi. I've had some that is okay. Like vegan stuff, yeah. That I'm like, oh yeah, that's not bad. But for the most part, I don't like, uh, like seafoody type flavors because a lot of that stuff has like seaweed in it and shit, and that makes me fucking mm-hmm. gag. Did you like seafood before? Like, did you like fish and stuff before? Like when we were kids, before you were vegetarian? No. No. I mean, okay. I always the did. only thing I ever liked was like, like shrimp. I liked shrimp. And, mm-hmm. um, like smoked salmon. Smoked salmon is real yeah. good. Other than that, I like seafood is one time I had catfish and I thought that was pretty good, but everyone's always like, oh, catfish is gross. Cause they eat garbage and shit. But like. Catfish is all right. They got a lot of catfish down here and down in the South. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. Yeah. I had... But I, I like, I like salmon. That's my, that's my thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess salmon was never like. You know, it's never terrible because obviously we had that quite a bit growing up. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, for the most part, fish grosses me out. Like unless it's like really breaded and fried shit, you know, like there's like vegan fish, fish stick sticks. type things. Like, yeah. but generally the only part I like on those is like the fried crispy part. And I'm like, oh, yeah, like, <laughs> like I like this part, but the fish flavor is just anything seafood. It just grosses me out so much. I hate the flavor. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I yeah. mean, sushi. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I would like actual like sushi that wasn't vegan or vegetarian sushi. But like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I've had like bean curd stuff. You know, like there's like from the sushi sushi. God, fucking process server. That's what that reminds me of. Process <laughs> server. Um. Uh, from like the store, you know, like where there's like this the section where they have it, like at like Safeway yeah. and mm-hmm. deli spots. I had like a bean curd thing, which was just like a bean curd like wrap thing with like uh rice in it and stuff. And I thought yeah. that was really good. Um, hmm. but I don't know regular sushi. I don't really like it that much. All right, before we get started with today's show, I just wanted to give a shout out to our three $5 tier Patreon supporters. Uh, big ups to Christine, big ups to Eric, and big ups to Remy. Um, if anyone else would like to support the show, go to patreon.com backslash leftovers pod. And we have three tiers of support there. And no matter what tier of support, you'll get a shout out and a discount on merchandise from our storefront. 
Um, other ways you can support us is going to our social media, which will be linked in the episode description. But right now we have an Instagram and a Facebook and we're working on putting on a YouTube, uh, putting out a YouTube channel. Um, if you guys go there, give us a follow, give us a like, like the episodes, share the episodes. That would be huge. Um, another, and finally, the last way to support us is to leave a review and rate our show on whatever platform you listen to it on. Um, that does a lot to um, expand the show and bring it to other listeners. So uh, thank you guys. I don't, th- I mean, just, 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 uh, you know, do yeah. what's in your heart, man. Mm. Yeah. Or just go with your gut. Uh, I'm Jason. Uh, this is my brother Jacob here, uh, Leftovers Podcast, obviously, for those of you yeah, who have been Hello. listening for a while. Um, today, we're going to talk about unemployment. Um, we have both been unemployed and lived in those situations, and also, you know, just our thoughts on the statistics of unemployment, uh, you know, uh, what unemployment looks like to us, how we feel about it. Uh, how the information is collected. We have, you know, issues with all sorts of things and concerns. Um, so anyway, to start, um, I believe you've got some statistics, right, that you wanted to share? Yeah. Uh, so right now, unemployment is obviously at a pretty high level because of COVID-19, right? Um, I mean, at the highest, it was at, I mean, and this is unemployment, not real unemployment. It was at around 15% in April. Um, Right now it's dropping, obviously, because states tend to be, you know, uh, either loosening restrictions on, you know, workplaces and stuff like that. But I think as we see, you know, possibly a second uh, expansion of COVID-19 infections and, um, you know, possibly even a third wave like uh, the United States saw in the Spanish flu with the recent mutations that have been discovered uh, that are affecting younger people. Um, yeah, it becomes something that is important to discuss. I mean, I think right now the last statistic I got was from early November, which was about 7% unemployment. And uh, pre-pandemic, let's say January, we were at about 3.5% unemployment. Um, so at, in April, there had been 20 million jobs lost. Um, so it's, uh, pretty high and and in April, I mean, so to kind of put that in perspective, uh, the, uh, great depression in 1933, there was a high of 25% unemployment and in the great recession, which Jason and I, that's the time we were unemployed, there was slightly over 10% in 2010 as a high. And so we're not quite at that 25% mark of the Great Depression, but we're also above the Great Recession or have been above the Great Recession uh, unemployment rates, which is, I mean, rather unfortunate. And, you know, uh, post-Great Recession, the economy has been more of a gig economy than a, you know, manufacturing economy or even a consumer economy. And so, um, yeah, I just... uh, you know, but there's also Jason had mentioned earlier that he wanted, and and something I'm interested in as well is unemployment rates versus real unemployment rates. Yeah, um, that that's something that always, you know, like that I always like 
it's just when you live in a city and you see so many people living on the street and then you hear numbers of like, oh, unemployment's only at 7%. And I'm like, okay, like it always just like weirded me out because I didn't understand how unemployment was calculated, right? And when you hear those numbers like, oh, 7%, like that's not terrible, right? Like that's not bad. Like, but when I started to look right. more into how those numbers are calculated, and I think this is more so what you mean when you say like unemployment versus real unemployment, is there, there's, I found there's actually like six different ways to calculate unemployment. And it's kind of like a scale, but yeah. the, the number three tier is like what the, uh, whatever the Bureau of uh, Labor Statistics, yes. Labor uh, Statistics. Use. But like the the more so real reflection is like a, a the six tiered one or whatever, because it it doesn't in yep. their official reports they don't talk about people who have given up looking for work, like they don't talk about people who are potentially living on the street and don't have a means to look for a job, and it's basically right. what they go by is anyone I think within the last four weeks who has applied for a job and is unemployed is counted as the labor force that is unemployed. So basically yeah. if you haven't, yeah, I, I mean that, that, that if you haven't applied for a job, but you're still not working and still super poor, you know, like, and the thing that bothers me too, is that when you look at unemployment rates, you're not looking at poverty rates either. Right. Like they, we look at, I feel like people take unemployment statistics, like poverty statistics, and it, it just bugs me. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, well, unemployment's really low. I'm like, I don't care how, how how much poverty are people living in. I don't care if those people are employed. You know, like that's not what the issue is. I want to know how how are they living? How much you know, like how much poverty are they living in? And yeah, and I mean, it just always bugs me too. That, like when people work, you know, say people work. Um, part-time jobs and they work multiple jobs, you know, and it's like, that means there's less jobs on the job market for other people because individuals are having more and more jobs themselves, like sometimes two full-time jobs. And yeah. So, yeah, I just feel like the statistics around unemployment and how they're collected and, and how it's reflected officially by our government is just super misleading and yeah, I just don't think that it even addresses any sort of issue with poverty at all. Yeah, I mean, to get kind of like textbook about it, right? The difference between the unemployment and real unemployment rates is basically kind of what you said. So if you've looked for a job and you have contacted the unemployment offices uh, within the last four four weeks, you're considered unemployed. Um, but to, but what real unemployment rate, you know, kind of that sixth tier you were talking about there is uh, it's, it, it's kind of divided into two groups of either marginal uh, marginally attached to the workforce. Uh, and that is basically defined. If you've looked for a job in the last year and, and then tried to contact the unemployment office within the last year, you're considered really, you're considered marginally attached. But there's also a subset of those marginally attached workers called discouraged workers. And those are people who have given up looking for work, which is very easy to give up looking for work when you live through a recession or a depression or even a pandemic, right? Uh, if you know people aren't hiring, you're not going to be putting effort into looking for jobs that aren't going to hire you. I mean, I remember experiencing this during, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009, 2010. 
during the Great Recession and being like, there isn't jobs out there. You know what I mean? And I wasn't even applying for unemployment because I knew I wasn't going to get it because the place Jason and I worked at before wasn't super like, um, you know, on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, good on paperwork side or whatever. Uh, like we received personal checks quite a bit to, uh, for work. Um, and, uh, so, you know, I, I wouldn't have, uh, been applicable to, for unemployment, but so you give up looking for work because you know, they're not out there. Right. And then, so, so you can actually see, uh, unemployment rates go down when real unemployment rates go up because if a large enough subset of people give up looking for work they will become these marginally attached or discouraged workers and you'll see that real number rise and the uh the unemployment rate actually fall which is incredible (laughs) and to kind of give that some context right so if you look at kind of some of the statistics, so like like I said, just over 10% in 2010 during the recession, if you look at real unemployment rates, there are you know, highs of 17%. And, and right now, if you look at real unemployment rates, right, in April there, they were, they were over 20%. So these real unemployment rates are, they do trend with, uh, you know, employment rates, unemployment rates, excuse me, but just at a much higher level. And so it kind of, uh, with that uh, perspective, right, it gives you a different opinion on what's probably, I think that that sixth tier of rate, right, that real unemployment rate gives you a better picture of what is happening in the economy than does the unemployment rate, the standard rate, you could call it. Yeah, and that's something that I thought about too when I was looking into it and, and realizing that, you know, I was like, if enough people drop off the, you know, like labor force as they, you know, like the, the actual labor force that officially, the unemployment, the official unemployment rate, yeah, will look like, oh, look, it's getting better. But that just means less people could be applying for jobs. Like, that's all that means. And like you said, it's super it's very real. Like there was a point in time where it's like you and I, it's like, there's no point in applying for jobs. Like we'd already applied to jobs and. Yeah. I mean, we couldn't get, we, I remember we couldn't get yeah, work at like yeah, labor ready or whatever day. that place was called. You know what I mean? Like just like day to day work. They would, and we'd just sit there yeah. for three hours and be like, no work guys. And yeah. So, okay. so it's like people like that, you know, and, and like the thing is too is that like when you're working like a lot of times too you know like we would go and try to look for jobs and it's like we knew people that worked there we knew the managers so it's like we're not officially applying you know what i mean it's like we're going in and being like hey what can you do for me you know like can you get mm-hmm. me work like can i work here for a little bit you, you know like do you need delivery drivers do you i mean that's kind of how it was at the gas station that we worked at right like when we both left that position yeah that was the job that we got back you know like and it wasn't this official thing from applying mm-hmm, for jobs. Mm-hmm. It was just like, you know, I was in contact with the manager. And as soon as there was an opening, he was like, hey, you're the first person I want to hire. So just come to work Monday. Like, it, it'll be like nothing changed, you know, like. And so, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's I just feel like it's really difficult too to kind of like explain that on a wide scale to people that like this information is super misleading because it gets thrown around as if it's some sort of scale of how we're doing 
you know, like how working people are doing. And yeah, yeah, I just, that, that bothers me. It bothers me so much because I'm like, if you don't understand how these numbers work or actually work, like you can sit there and say, oh yeah, it's not too bad. You know, like if you're living somewhere where there's not a lot of homelessness or, you know, a lot of people living in poverty, if you're not living in cities and, uh, you're not seeing the poverty in front of your face, you're going to think, okay, things are probably generally pretty good. Like I'm employed. The unemployment rate is fine. Like what's wrong? Everything seems fine to me, you know? And yeah, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, it just, it bothers me that, that we look at that, you know, like we don't, like I was saying before, it doesn't take into account a lot of things that, that really bother me. But I mean, the thing is that's really hard to get that kind of information on a large scale, especially when there's so many people that don't have computers, they don't have phones, they don't have ways to track anything. They don't have addresses, you know, they live on the street. Um, and you know, how, how do you even collect information on people that aren't even on the grid at all? You know what I mean? Like it, yeah, it's, yeah, I feel like that information is super hard to get. I mean, I think it's very similar to, you know, comparing how the economy is doing. Uh, I mean, not necessarily comparing, but analyzing the how the economy is doing based on what the stock market's doing and not necessarily looking at what the real world situation is for people on the ground. And um, I think this unemployment rate versus real unemployment rate, right, is kind of that a similar a similar measure that gets added to those things. And people are like, yeah the economy is doing good. It's just like when stocks go up, stocks will go up when companies announce layoffs. Right. And so it's really hard to, it's hard to imagine being satisfied with an answer like that. When, you know, when you're affected by those layoffs or you're affected by, or your, or your loved ones are affected by those layoffs and you see the stocks go up on that. And then, so then, you know, the new, the news media says, Look at look how good the econ- the economy's doing. The stock market's up thirty points or whatever whatever that is, and you're like, oh, my friends just you know I I know a handful of people that just lost their job, but that but that stock that individual stock is going up. Seems really, you know, not a it does it, it's clearly a measure to be manipulated. Yeah, and it just it kind of when we're looking at numbers like this, right? Like how good the stock market's doing, what the unemployment rate is, the official, not the real. You know, like, it's just, it all does seem really superficial. Like, obviously, the stock market is important, and there's a lot of money in it, you know, and there's a lot of people that have assets in, you know, stuff like that, and stocks and shit. So, like, yeah, I get the stock mm-hmm. market can be uh, really important for a lot of people, and, like, but at the same time, it, it it just reminds me of people sitting here arguing back and forth about, like, well, it's the Democrats' fault. It's the Republicans' fault that we're only getting six hundred dollars after all this bullshit, right? And but then it's like you look at things and you're like, well, mm-hmm. what the fucking you're arguing about the stupid back and forth that happened, you know, to to get this stimulus bill passed, and you're arguing amongst amongst people, yeah. working people are arguing amongst each other, like. Well, Democrats wanted this. Well, Republicans wanted that, and we couldn't come to this, and this is all we're getting, and it's Democrats' fault or it's the Republicans' fault. And I'm like, yeah, but look at how much just gets passed without even 
like without even thought to to bail out the stock market to to you know like or to just give them money to give the stock market money to all these other things that to give to give banks to give the defense industry to give you know the defense department stuff like that we have all the money in the world for you know and and people who are normally deficit hawks will you know not blink an eye at giving the defense department or their defense budget or some other budget for big business or tax breaks for big companies, uh, you know, that's not an issue for them. But as soon as it goes out to normal everyday people, oh, but this is going to raise the deficit, right? We can't create this standard for people that they don't have to go to work. It's it, If you start looking at it at that level of analysis, it becomes very clear that the system is set up in opposition to real yeah. working people yeah and it and it when the the actual working people that are mostly that are most affected by all this stuff start arguing with each other as if it's their party's fault you know like it, it just that kind mm-hmm. of gets annoying because that bickering you know like i've had to hold my tongue or i guess hold my fingers you know like on facebook it's like because people are like all these socialist democrats are to blame they're ruining our country and we only get six hundred dollars i'm like yeah well all those social democrats wanted you to get fucking more like than that and you know but then also i see their point of just like there was so much back and forth the republicans are like well we want this so it's like okay well then we want this bill passed in there too you know like we're not gonna so i understand both sides and people getting upset at either side but the real the real problem is just like there's yeah, I mean, it's it just blows my mind that like we still are arguing with each other over party politics when it's like these people came in unison to give this to you, and it sucks, you know, like it, it fucking totally sucks. Um, but yeah, I mean, that being said, too, like I've to get back on unemployment, like I've never qualified for unemployment when I've been unemployed. And I feel like that sucks too, you know, like there's so yeah. many situations where, you know, I've been in where it's like, oh, you should try to get unemployment for the time being. And when I do, it's, it's never like the right reason. It's like, well, no, we looked into it and it's not like, you can't get it. You're not qualified. And that's happened to me multiple times. And it's very, mm-hmm. it's very frustrating you know, like to, to deal with that stuff. And and I don't really know the inner workings of a lot of that. And a lot of people have told me like, well, when you're look, going for unemployment, they deny it, you have to appeal it and then they'll deny it and you appeal it again and then you'll get it and this and that. And, you know, like that kind of stuff is super annoying. And I've had to drive like almost an hour to get to this place to take some course. And then a couple of weeks later, they're like, oh yeah, well you don't apply, you don't you don't get it, like you don't get the unemployment. So, and I'm like, you made me drive <laughs> so far away while I was unemployed to go to some fucking class to learn how to fill out a job application properly, you know, and then report that to unemployment, and then a couple weeks later, you know, you're like, oh I don't get it, like sorry, it's just yeah I don't know that kind of shit. <laughs> Just, just bugs me so much too that there's just so much bureaucracy around helping, you know, like average people. There's so much, and there's so much of it that we don't understand either. You know, like a lot of that stuff is in language that I don't understand. That like, 
you know, there's just, yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it's not, and I'm not saying that. Un- I think, I think, you know, to, oh, I say it, not to say that unemployment ahead. doesn't necessarily work. I know a lot of people that, you know, have used it and are on it or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, just my experience with it is just like, I, can I just get some fucking help for the time being, please? Yeah. I mean, I think it's purposely yeah. obscure. Okay. So I kind of wanted to talk about like, you know, uh, go a little bit more into these like discouraged workers, right? Kind of like what you're saying with like you having to drive and, you know, you eventually give up. Right. And mm-hmm. like, um, like I think to paint like a picture of like why these people might give up. Right. Yeah. Um, cause, cause, cause it might seem like people who have never given up or who have received unemployment and not had to struggle with it. Right. They might be like, well, why would you give up getting money? And it becomes a point where like, it's kind of almost hard to understand if you don't put yourself outside of the situation you're in. Right. And so I think, you know, when I, when I thought about it, I, you know, I thought, you know, lack of unemployment in a, in a region. And if you don't have transportation to get out of that region, right. There's plenty of places like that don't have uh, an employment base where it's like, if I can't, like, I remember being unemployed and having a car, but like knowing that, I don't really have enough money to keep like insurance and all that stuff to drive like legally and safely. And like, shoot, sometimes put gas in my car. Right. Um, so I can't drive to a job and cause I won't make it there for two weeks. So I have to be able to walk or take the bus, right. Ride my bike, whatever. And I think that's something like if you can't walk to your place of employment and I, you can have a car, right. If you can't walk there, and there's no, if there's nowhere within walkability to a place of work, how are you supposed to look for jobs? You can only apply to the gas station so many times, right? Or whatever may be in your town. And I think that's something that, like, I don't know if they, you know, help facilitate. But also, you got to think about distance to the unemployment office. If you don't, like, I remember for a time there was, like, <laughs> my cell phone got shut off. And it's like I had to rely on, I think, you who still had a cell phone at the time, like to get calls from uh, employers. And it's like, if, if you run out of money and you don't have a cell phone, you can't contact the unemployment office. You can't get those calls back on applications. I mean, those are all things that I think people are probably familiar with. Like, especially because, you know, our parents either weren't able or didn't want to pay for cell phones because at the time, you know, they were relatively, like a new thing that everyone had. And it's like, they almost looked at it as a luxury item. But if you don't have a home phone and your cell phone gets shut off, how the heck are you supposed to like keep in contact with these employers? You know? Yeah. And now if you, you know, like fast forward to today, a lot of uh, stuff is done on the computer. Most jobs that you would apply for are done yep. through the computer. You know, there's either third party like hosting sites for jobs to apply for, or like, the application process is all online. And so 
Yeah, if you don't have an internet connection or even a device to connect to the internet with, you know, like there are people that don't have a lot of these things still, you know, like it's it's uncommon to find someone without some sort of smartphone. But I mean, even me, like I don't have an internet connection to my phone most of the time, you know, like I rely on Wi-Fi a lot. Yeah. And that's just financially like I'm not in a place to be paying for a cell phone plan. Like we have one cell phone plan that we use that's mostly used for our business. But like it, it's like I, it's so much cheaper to just do what I'm doing right now per month than it is to just have an, a working cell phone. And yeah, so, so not having a device, you know, is crucial or having a device is crucial, you know, to trying to find a job now like most even us we do most of our stuff online it's like for you know if we are looking to employ people and of course we're not mm -hmm. you know like it, we have some job applications that got filled out you know like we had some paper forms and stuff but for the most part you know people look online or you know they come inside it's like just send us your resume through email here just you know like that's all it is that's all it needs to be but like if you don't have the device to keep doing that and to keep up on that. I mean, there's even opportunities where it's like, if you don't connect to a device or to Wi-Fi in like a week, you might miss an email that says like, Hey, come in for an interview this day. And then, you know, like you're, you get internet connection two days later and you're just like, Oh, Hey, sorry. Like I haven't, I haven't been able to receive emails, you know? Like that shit is all yeah. super real. And I think a lot of people that don't live in those circumstances don't understand that. And it's like, yeah, sometimes people don't have a connection to the internet every single day. Like that's just, that's a reality. Yep. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. And yeah, it's, it's super frustrating, especially when you do live somewhere. Like one of the times I tried to be on unemployment, I, I was living in the middle of nowhere and like it, it was just so like almost there was no place to work in town. There was a small like general store that the person who owned it worked there every day, you know, like that was what they did. Yeah. And pretty much everyone that was there either like one guy owned a hardware store and there's an automotive place, but no one, you know, like there's, it's a small town, literally like a couple hundred people maybe in like, most people are either on unemployment or they work in a small business that is more essential to the day-to-day -day life, like a hardware store. People are constantly building their houses and doing stuff or the general store. Other than that, the automotive place, like, well, cars don't break down all the time, you know, like, so yeah, yeah. there's that. And it, that's where it's like, I had to drive so far and any job that I would apply for, you know, would be super far away. Like, it would be at least, you know, like a 45 minute drive to get into the nearest town. And that drive was yeah. down gnarly canyons and all sorts of stuff. So that's a lot of wear and tear on my car, a lot of extra gas to get back up all those hills and canyons and shit. And like, it gets to a point where you're like, I, there's no point in me doing this. I'm just jerking myself off, just going in circles, you know, like go to this office, go yeah. to that office, you know, like, Oh, apply for this job here. And then, you know, six weeks later, you find out, ah, we're not going to be able to give you unemployment. We can't back pay. You can't do anything. And then you're like, so what's the point yep. of me doing any of this right now? 
you know, like, yeah. and that's when people get disenfranchised. And I feel like also because I knew I was in a temporary situation where it's like, this isn't going to be forever. This is going to be four or five months maybe. But like, I, the reason I didn't qualify for unemployment was because the circumstances under which I quit my job were not that which matched up with unemployment, which I get. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, but I'm still unemployed and struggling. And like, you know, I, I don't know. It just, that whole situation just really bothered me because they, they can make me do all this crazy shit driving around to all these different places and then tell me, sorry, you don't get it. You know, like you just wasted so much of my time and money and then tell me I don't get anything. Yeah. I mean, not, the thing is, yeah, the thing is too, we pay yeah. into it, right? Like everyone pays into it. And then when you need it, it's incredibly hard to get. And so it's, it's means tested to death. Right. And it's like, I feel like everyone should have access to some form of unemployment, no matter, no matter the percentage, like maybe, you know, you quit your job voluntarily or whatever, whatever the circumstance was that doesn't qualify. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean like you're not unemployed. That doesn't mean you don't want to, you know, whatever, like survive and sustain. And I feel like we should be able to make those choices. If we pay into a system, we should also be able to have access to them, you know, when needed. Yeah. I mean, that, that's how you think it would work too. Right. You're like, well, I've, I've been paying into this. Like why, why would I not qualify at least for something? And yeah, because I've I've never received unemployment. Um, even if I've been unemployed, uh, either I didn't like the first few times I tried to apply, I didn't qualify. And like right now, I'm technically like a disenfranchised worker, or whatever. But I'm like voluntarily not looking for work, right? Um, but like, I, w- I haven't applied now. But it's like I've paid into it for fifteen. 15 16 years um so it's like so does that mean i just don't get access to any kind of help even though i've helped build up the system it kind of seems a little bit backwards i think like another thing another example of a situation where you know people might give up um looking for work right is i think of factory towns so where i used to work um it's basically this large area that's kind of built an economy around one employer, this one massive employer. And they like that massive employer is tends to is is trying to leave the area, right? And once that employer does cut jobs substantially, every like every business built up around that major employer is going to crash too, right? So let's say this factory uh, lays off half its workers. You got to think about like the restaurants that supply the lunches and the dinners and the breakfasts for those, for those workers. So if those workers don't have money from the massive employer, how are they going to spend money at those smaller employers, right? Those smaller businesses. And that like, that's where, trickle down economics is right. Trickle down economics doesn't work in the sense of like the Ronald Reagan trickle down economics because people hoard wealth now and taxes are so low for, for uh, wealth hoarders. It doesn't really matter. But what trickle down economics in my mind is, is like once it gets taken away at the top, the big massive suppliers of employment of origin point cash, right? That 
takes away, it trickles down into the smaller businesses. And so businesses and businesses and businesses fail, right? So if your big employer goes out of business, those other businesses are going to go out of business too. So it's not only that you can't find jobs, it's actually that other businesses are actually shutting down. So how are you going to look for employment in a region? And like the region I'm thinking of is like this huge rural region, right? There's nowhere that's going to hire you because construction has stopped. Restaurants have stopped. Automotive has stopped, right? And it's just gone. It's, it's a, a little regional economy gone with the, with the loss of one employer. And I think that's an easy situation to become discouraged and stop looking because you're like, I can't get a job here. You either have to move out of the region or you give up and you somehow participate in, you know, a cash or black economy. Like that's it. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, a lot of times too, if those companies go out of business and lay off a bunch of people and this and that, whatever, you know, like, they can sell off a shitload of assets and stocks and whatever. And a lot of the people at the top can benefit hugely from that while everybody else, oh, yeah. yeah while everybody all the time. else gets screwed over. So it's like to the people on top, no big deal. People are like, Oh yeah, whatever. Like uh, this is a huge loss for everyone. No, it's not, you know, like it's not a loss for the people up at top. Like, yeah, of course they're not going to be making that much money a year anymore, but they're not facing poverty and unemployment. Like they're not facing mm -hmm. not having a paycheck, you know, or a place to live anymore. And yeah, that's something that is, that's something that's always bothered me too, is like, there's just, it seems like there's no regard for the, you know, the people at the bottom, the people that do, you know, like we praise these companies when they employ people, but we don't do anything to, to keep that in check and to make sure that's safe and that those people are going to be taken care of if that employer, you know, doesn't do right by the workers either. There's no, there's no yeah. check to make sure. And people don't want it. People are like afraid of that. Like, Oh, well, if we start doing that, that's a big scary word that we don't like, you know, that's what you call socialism or communism, you know, too close to that. And, yeah. and to me, it's like, the fact that unemployment, real unemployment can be skyrocketing and poverty can be skyrocketing, you know, but the stock market's doing just fine and our economy looks good. It's just like, I, I don't understand, like the, the wealthiest people in the country are such a small percentage because the only, like we can't all get on that level. And I, I feel like we've made that point so many times. Not everybody can be that wealthy. Not everybody can be super wealthy and do these things because there needs to be the essential workers, the employees pushing the product, doing the jobs to create them all the wealth yep. as well. Like we can't all just be successful business owners. You know what I mean? Like it. it, it yeah, exactly. We can't all be successful business managers in that we don't like do something with our hands, right? Whether that's make food or make, make a widget or, you know, whatever. I think what's frustrating about it is there's no protections for the people who actually create the wealth, right? I think there is a misleading narrative in uh, mainstream politics, mainstream media 
of like wealth creators or job creators and being these really important people. And that's why you got to keep taxes low on corporations and these wealthy people. But in reality, the people creating the wealth are the people selling and creating these products. And once that base goes away, if you can't replace that base, it's, it's just like we're seeing in the COVID-19 pandemic without grocery workers, without fast food workers, without these essential workers who are largely minimum wage workers, right? Like, the economy doesn't exist because what there's a difference between just like there's a difference between an economy and the real economy and employment, unemployment and real unemployment. Like the real economy is actually, you know, grocery workers, face to face people you transact with every single day. It's not this like these money markets or whatever. That is like an economy that that is an abstract economy. Whereas like the economy of every day happens at the grocery store, happens in the factory at the ground level, happens at the small business, right? It's, it's not these people who move money around. It's the people who sell and create products. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, you know, the, like I read something where it was, you know, it was just an easy perspective to understand where it's like, you know, like you were saying, if the theory of trickle-down economics, you know, were, or how it should work or how we should look at it is like, yes, when a worker gets paid, they get paid and then they go out and they spend $10 here. And then that person, you know, like if somebody comes in on their lunch break and gives me $10 for a smoothie bowl or whatever, and Mm -hmm. they tip me and this and that right like i'm like okay that's me buying groceries that's my business purchasing more stuff and then we purchase you know it's just like it it does there is a chain and it continues and it goes and goes and like yeah that's called actually the velocity of money or the velocity of a dollar yeah Um, yeah and and, and like that kind of stuff i feel like is is you know like not I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's hard for people to, to differentiate like that, right. That like you're saying the velocity of money from like what trickle down economic policies actually do to regular people, you know, cause mm-hmm. that's what they think. They think that that's what it is. Yeah. See, these people spend a lot of money. They give you a job and then you get the job and you spend money here and there. And then those people get money and that's how it all works, you know? And it's like, but then company goes under or sells and all the people at the top get rich and everybody is unemployed. And then that city becomes desolate, you know, like, yep. so yep. what benefit, ha- what happened, you know, like, wh- why is your theory not working anymore? What, what happened there? You know? Yeah. So, so basically when, yeah, like when, like I was saying, when, you know, like a big company goes under or whatever, and then the people at the top get all these benefits and bonuses and they they get to walk away, you know, with a lot compared to all the people who walk away with nothing. Like the, the theory of trickle-down economics, you know, like for me, I've always been like, well, where does it go from there? What's What happens after that? Like why why does that happen if this is such a good theory? You know, like like – why under that theory with you know like those types of policies does that kind of shit happen because that seems like the opposite of what people assume it is like you said like there's there's a difference between that like that's called the velocity of money compared to and i think people think that those two things are like exactly the same thing 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you're talking about the theory of velocity of money, it's about like how much how much does that dollar create in value? And if that dollar goes to someone who's just going to put it away, it doesn't create any value, right? But if if that dollar goes to someone like you, a small business owner, right, it's already doubled its worth because it's created two dollars of value, right? And if you go and spend that dollar, it's created three dollars of value as long as you continue to spend that in like what we are calling the real economy, right? And the further you can circulate that dollar in the real economy, right, um, the, the, the more value it's going to create. I mean, I think this, the, like, to continue talking about the velocity of money and, and like, kind of, you know, to move on to, like, this, this new stimulus bill that's going to come in that just got passed recently, it's, it's, it, it kind of shows the grotesqueness of like giving all these tax breaks, giving all these corporations money that, you know, we've already historical examples, recent historical examples of them, like taking the tax cuts, taking the relief and literally doing stock buybacks or, you know, doing whatever, not necessarily giving it to their employees to spend, not necessarily raising wages to put more money into the economy circulation, but they put it into, you know, a, a corporate savings account, which, you know, whatever, and it doesn't necessarily stimulate the economy. So let's talk. So what you know what what's in this COVID nineteen relief package, right? First and foremost, it was roughly six thousand pages. Uh, so there wasn't enough time for anyone to read it, right? Um, it basically got a bunch of money to defense, homeland security, financial services, stuff like that. It gave uh, basically it allowed employers. N- Employers no longer have to pay you for sick time if you take time off, even for COVID-19. Um, it got business cuts, obviously, like tax cuts for big businesses. Uh, it was only, They basically uh, cut the enhanced unemployment benefits by $300. So now it's just an extra $300 per week for people with unemployment. And it will be $600 in direct payments to most Americans. Uh, $600 is uh, clearly a 50% cut from the $1,200 we received. What was that? Eight months ago. Uh, yeah. And that first uh, cares act, uh, which is like, you know, whatever. I mean, I think, you know, and that's for an individual. So if you're a family or whatever, you, you know, or you're a couple that makes under $150,000, you'll get, you know, two $600 checks or $1,200. And then an extra, I think a uh, couple hundred bucks per, if you have kids. Um, that's obviously not enough, right? I think Jason and I are both advocates of, you know, I would say a good amount is $2,000 a month until the pandemic is over. And honestly, I think we should be back paid all that money because people are in debt. What is this $600 going to do for people who have been living off that $1,200? And, you know, I'm obviously saying that with some sarcasm from the $1,200 from eight months ago or whatever we said it was, um, you know, it's going to go straight, straight, straight to either a bank, a mortgage lender, um, a big property management company or a landlord, um, you know, credit card payment, something like that, student loans, maybe uh, auto, auto, auto loans, stuff like that. All the things provided by big corporations or people who aren't going to put it back into the economy, right? And that's where... Uh, you know, I'm glad Jason brought it up, but I was going to bring it up too. that velocity of money kind of is important to understand because like, yeah, that $600 for some people is going to be spent, you know, stimulating 
the economy, let's say, but it's not enough. It's not enough to stimulate the economy. I remember when Barack Barack Obama's administration did the $600 stimulus and I was one of those people who qualified for it. $600 didn't do anything. I mean, the economy, we already have an example of what a stimulus check shouldn't look like. And the $600 that Barack Obama did as a tax benefit didn't do anything enough or enough to stimulate the economy. So we're doing the exact same thing with, with an erosion of workers' rights and with more defense spending and <laughs> more freaking uh, cuts for businesses, right? And we know this isn't going to work. So I think, you know, this is largely telling us that our politicians that we elect to office or our representatives or whoever you want to blame it on, it, they don't care. Right. They don't care about you. I mean, Nancy, I saw a video of Nancy Pelosi saying this is a substantial amount of money. Six hundred dollars is not a substantial amount of money. I don't care how poor you are. While beneficial, six hundred dollars doesn't pay rent for anybody. Six hundred dollars doesn't make a car payment and car insurance for anybody. Right. It's not enough money. That's what incredibly wealthy people think. Poor people think is a lot of money. Right. It's kind of. (laughs) gross it's really really gross yeah no it is and and uh i was listening to something on the radio the other day and it was you know talking to really small business owners you know like myself where you know we we owe a bunch of back rent you know because luckily Mm -hmm. some of it was forgiven because we have a landlord that was nice enough to forgive us for some of our rent and but for for that was like maybe three two months maybe but the Mm -hmm. rest of that has just been like supplemented i'll just pay what you can for now and we'll figure it out later and so for a lot of people though that's not the case like our landlords aren't willing to work with them they're not budging and they're either paying in full or they're they're getting a backlog of all this rent to pay and this guy was saying you know like (laughs) for me i own a small pizzeria or whatever he's like so for me, you know, when I'm paying three, four thousand dollars a month in rent, but I'm only affording this much, this is how much debt I've collected just to owe in back rent for the last eight months. And yep. I am just selling ten dollar pizzas. That's all I'm doing. That's a lot of fucking ten dollar pizzas to sell to to make that <laughs> yeah. up. Like and that's how I feel too. I'm like, I can't make enough six dollar or seven dollar fucking smoothies to pay the back rent it doesn't fucking work like it it, you know like even if i get six hundred dollars or my business gets some sort of other loan it's like just it's still a loan it's still a loan and then also it's just tack it on like we're already paying so much and it's like as long as we continue to not be able to pay full rent you know like we're just going to keep collecting that debt and like, it's just going to, I don't know how it's going to come back. I don't know what kind of payment plan they're going to offer or if they're just going to all of a sudden change and be like, we're not getting any help as landlords. So you owe us that you owe us that. I don't know what to say. You know, like, I mean, we know one business personally that's getting sued by their landlord because they, they couldn't pay rent. They couldn't pay rent. They didn't know what to do. And it, they basically just, they sued them. They were like, well, if you're not paying us rent, we're going to sue you. And they kicked them out and sued them. Like, Jeez. and it's like, 
what are those people supposed to do with six hundred fucking dollars? Like, I can't even buy a new con- gaming console. You know, with that, like, that's what I, yeah. you know, that's what I see people saying on Facebook. They're like, six hundred dollars is nothing. I'm gonna be broke yeah. if I get the six hundred dollars or not. So I might as well be broke with a fucking Xbox. You know, like, yeah, what you know, and and. and yeah, I mean, and like you were saying, though, if you use that money to pay rent or to pay a loan or a credit card or some sort of debt, that is not stimulating the economy, the real economy that we all function in every single day. You know, yep. what makes that function is buying that fucking avocado toast every day, going and getting your coffee from the local coffee shop, you know, like doing those things that all these people say, don't do the, don't spend that money yep. on the daily basis, save it, put it away. That money's not doing anything, even if it's growing in stocks in the stock market like it's not generating wealth for people on the day-to-day basis that are working the working people so yeah it's not creating real economic value yeah yeah for for us for the working people for the the small business owners and the everyday workers it, it doesn't do anything like and i mean yeah it's just it, it blows it blows my mind to think that people think that you know, $600 is adequate, or I don't even know if they think it is. They just don't care if it is or not, you know, like. I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, you know, they don't care. Yeah. they. I think that they don't care that, that it's enough or not. They think, well, something's better than nothing, which is true. And of course we're all going to fucking accept it, you know, yeah. but it, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it, it just pisses me off, pisses me off so much. And then it also just pisses me off that, People are arguing over such stupid politics right now when it's like we need to be arguing the fact that all these people have not been doing anything for months and this is what they came up with. And like <laughs> look at yeah, look at where they put all this other money, you know, like someone was complaining about, oh, there's all this stuff that got put into this, you know, like clean energy research, like and then they did the math and they were like, That would have been an extra one hundred and fifteen dollars per person on their check. And I'm like that's what you're going to focus on is that one particular thing. What about everything else that was included in that? Like, why was it cut from 12 to $600 and you're going to bitch about a clean energy policy that would have affected a hundred dollars, you know, like mm-hmm. it, just picking out small little, you know, party politic things instead of being like this whole fucking system is, is not working for us. And like, I think there are advocates in it for the working people and for people, you know, like us, but I mean, it's so hard for those people in that system to even make any sort of change at all. Yeah. I mean, I think if we had any kind of ethical society, right, people would understand that there's a very clear conflict of interest between our politicians and giving money to businesses, right? A lot of these politicians either receive uh, donations from these large industries that are going to be benefiting from these uh, uh, this relief in scare quotes bill, and um, you know so it's you're going to see you know th- there's already correlation that's been found um, s- like statistic correlation between money given to politicians by certain industries and then those industries receiving government funds or government like relief packages or whatever, you know, uh, exploding in value. So you make a thousand dollar or, you know, obviously this is, uh, you know, bad math or whatever, but you give a thousand dollars to a politicians and in return you get a million, right? 
And that thousand dollars is often, often hundreds of thousands, of, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars. And so the return is even larger. Uh, and that's, in my mind, a very, very visible conflict of interest. And like, that's why people like us don't see money because our politicians are giving tax dollars to people who pay them. And that's, I think that's the problem. I mean, no matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, outside of the few people who, you know, Jason mentioned, you know, the few people who are, you know, you can see kind of standing up for working people, um, Democratic or Republican, they're taking money from these industries and then funneling money back into those industries at a, at a much larger gain than they ever would be in a private market. Um, I kind of wanted to wrap up uh, with with the unemployment thing real quick and kind of present the question. And I think Jason kind of pointed to it, to it earlier. Is it like, is there a correlation between people having multiple jobs in what is now considered like a gig economy? So you have a normal job and maybe you go drive Lyft and, or Uber or do Uber Eats or Postmates or, you know, whatever. And is there is there a correlation between multiple jobs and unemployment? So is there enough people between people with multiple jobs? And if they were to give up that second job, would it be able to backfill the people who are unemployed looking for unemployment? Let's even say the, the official unemployment rate. I think we could probably find a good amount of jobs to fill those people who are unemployed, right? But that would require jobs to provide a thriving wage like and currently our politicians aren't willing to push that forward because i think even if we get 15 dollars an hour federally i don't think that's enough like and our politicians aren't going to do anything about that right i mean we live in this like hustle and bustle economy where you like it's almost it's almost feels like you can't do anything out of enjoyment anymore because if it's not making you money then it's not worth your time and you're going to get belittled for doing art and not selling it or something like that, right? And uh, yeah, that's just something that I instantly thought about when I started reading about some of this, um, this, this relief bill and stuff like that. Like, it's just kind of sad. Um, I also wanted to note some interesting people that I found out who got PPP loans during this pandemic. And I was going to ask Jason if him and his businesses business qualified for any PPP loans or if you guys applied at all. Um, we qualified for a small amount. And the reason it was small mm-hmm. is because we don't have employees to pay. So we, okay. we got a very small amount of money and it's basically, we've been using it to try and, you know, keep our rent levels like, you know, like not too bad. So like, we'll, we'll pay a yeah. little bit and then supplement that from that loan. Um, but the thing is, is that most of those loans aren't up for any sort of relief if you're not paying for certain things. Right. So like the fact gotcha. that we're not paying people, we don't apply for certain like, uh, like benefits we might get in the future. Like, Oh, well we will relieve this much because this was all paid you know, but uh, to employees, right? And it wasn't used for all this other stuff. Um, yeah. 
so and, and that's just like from looking at stuff in the past where when they relieve stuff this is the kind of stuff they typically relieve so we qualified for a very small amount um and that was because we didn't have people to pay for and it was it was really hard to get because a lot of small businesses didn't get it a lot of people that we know yeah, yeah, didn't I heard that. get it or they got such a small amount it didn't really make much of a difference it's like it's barely doing anything for us right now you know um yeah. so yeah i mean i i think that's the thing people here didn't get it or they got very small amounts of money yeah well would it help you to know that some these three small business owners i'm about to say did get did get it so tom brady the quarterback of uh shoot i don't know who he plays for he's a quarterback in yeah. the nfl he got a million dollars in ppp loans um kanye west got two million dollars in ppp loans mm -hmm. that's awesome and joel olstein the guy who runs that big mega church out in california uh he got four million in ppp loans yeah that's nuts uh, yeah so i think it's safe to say that those loans while you know uh portrayed to be for small businesses weren't really for small businesses but for uh pet projects of the already wealthy and already close to so the thing that bothers you know. me so much about that is that those people probably have enough money to dip into whatever money they have to supplement their employees incomes if they have employees and the thing that bothers me is that there are people that are doing that like the fucking Andy Hurley from Fallout Boy, he's the drummer of Fallout Boy, owns a coffee shop, and I have friends that work there. And he's literally cutting them like tens of thousands of dollars checks to cover everyone's thing because they, they got a little yeah. bit of, of loan money. But he's like, we are – and this is a coffee shop in Portland just barely like getting by, right, which is very unheard of. Mm -hmm. Like Coffee is very popular and does really well in Portland. And oh, yeah. it's a very popular place with, you know, the owners are very popular and renowned people too. So it's a very popular place. And he's just taking a hit. He's like, I want my workers to be taken care of. You know, like we got small amounts of loans. And then I'm just cutting them checks out of my personal money. You know, like I'm giving it yeah. back to them. I'm, And it's just, it's annoying to see that people can do that. Like, I'm sure that he doesn't have as yeah. much money as Tom Brady or Kanye West, you know. Tom, I, I looked up Tom Brady's net worth earlier this morning when I saw that he got a million dollars in PPP loans. He's actually worth $200 million. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. And he his, his small company that he runs, which is uh, TB12, I think the company's called, uh, it employs 20 people. Wow. That's it. That's, yeah. like that's not a lot of people at all like well, no, and, and that no. yeah that bothers me that bothers me so much because it's just when you see people doing the right thing and struggling so hard and people with money too you know like people that are money but that have money and are wealthy but are doing a more conscious moral thing with it and then to know yep. that other people like kanye west are applying for these fucking loans and they're getting it meanwhile i can't even get a loan because it's like oh well you don't employ anyone so uh, we don't really care, you know. We don't care about you. When I yeah. I get it, it's like yes, people that employ people are a little bit more important than a business that doesn't, right? Because they are in charge of a lot more of the people. I'm not afraid to admit that. Like, we're not employing people. If we went under, a lot of people wouldn't be losing their job. I get that, right? 
But at yep. the same time, it's like, what does that do for me though? What does that do for me as a business owner and a person that runs their own business on a daily basis? And my business pays me. That's what it does. I live off of my business. You know, like, I mean, yeah. that's not to say that we wouldn't have people. Like if, if things were going, you know, like better, like we would have people too. So we would have applied for, or we would have, you know, been able to get a little bit more money. But the fact is that so many small businesses got such small amounts of money and to know that so many millions of dollars went to people that already are worth millions of dollars like is yeah it i saw that too you know and i was going to say something and i'm glad that you brought it up because i was going to say that too i i just the other day realized that kanye west got a bunch of ppp loan money and i was like how does that even happen like yeah what what like why does kanye west need help right now like why does he need help with anything? Yeah. Like that that blows my fucking mind. Like especially because he works in music and it's like the music that I mean he can be putting out music still. There's people still putting out music on that level. I mean most music is done digitally now. So it's like you're not putting out albums and doing shows and doing this. A lot of it's based on streaming and so yeah, I don't know. I, that yeah, that sucks. It really does suck. Um, yeah. Do you have anything you want to say to kind of sum up your feelings on unemployment, maybe a stimulus relief or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's such a hard thing to address. And I think that the, one of the important things is not to look at the individual things in the actual bill. Like that's obviously important, but to know that like when it comes to relieving us, no matter what side these politicians are on, they're using it as an opportunity to gain for themselves or to pass all these other things and to tuck these small things in to it. They're, they're using it. They're using our suffering as an excuse to get all these other bills passed so that other people, oh, maybe they'll compromise on this. Maybe we'll compromise on that. And, and I think that that's so much more important to look at than the fact that, like, the Democrats wanted this and the Republicans wanted that and arguing back and forth with each other about that shit. Like... Yes, that's important. The details are important. But the fact that they couldn't say, you know what, put all this stuff on the fucking back burner right now. Let's just focus on getting this out. Why would this bill have anything aside from relief from COVID for businesses and for people on an individual level? That's really all it needs. Like we just need it to 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 be based on unemployment. Are we going to get a stimulus check? Are our businesses going to get further help? Like there doesn't need to be all this other shit tucked into it, you know, like money for Israel and, you know, defense budget stuff. And yeah, I mean, the fact that they, they use our suffering to get each other to, you know, like to do this, it's just, I don't know. To line each other's yeah, pockets. To line each other's pockets and to, to, to expand their health coverage, you know? And it's yep. like yep. these, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it it's just annoying to see people arguing with each other over these small details. And I'm like, all these motherfuckers on every side are getting something out of this as well, you know? And yeah, I mean, I, I think what I would, you know, sorry to interrupt you, but I think what I want to say on that topic is that like, I think we have to remember that both the democratic party, at least mainstream democratic party and the Republican party are hardcore. They're both the party of capitalism. They're both the party of capital. Right. Um, 
That's why you can't have political heroes today because, or I don't even like that word, but like you can't look at any political figure as a savior figure because you have to remember that they're subservient to capital in some way, right? Outside of the few people who, you know, maybe, you know, like the Bernie Sanders types or the AOC types, right, who, are, who, who run their campaigns, um, whether you agree with them politically 100% or not, right, at least they did small dollar donations and stuff like that, okay? Like most people in both parties are subservient to capital. And that's why it seems as if both neither party answers your problems, solves your problems, or even gives you a solution, a, a potential solution to your problems, right? It's because they are working, they're doing their job. They've done their job for their employers who are these rich industrial like capitalists. They don't take, you know, they, they don't work there for us. That's that's on, they, they're there to serve capital at this point. And until we have a viable political party that it fights for working people and not just gives us rhetorical grandstanding, right? It'll continue to look like this. And I think that's what's just so disgusting about the propping up of Nancy Pelosi or even, you know, whatever his name, Mitch McConnell on, on either side of the table or Chuck Schumer or whoever, right? Both these people, all these people, not both, but all these people are, a part, they're, they believe in capitalism. They believe that maybe, you know, maybe some different levers moved here and there, but they're both prominent supporters of the system of exploitation. Yeah, that's. Yeah, that I just learned the other day, too, that there was like on one of the Democratic debate nights, there was like two, two of the people debating were like just billionaires. Like that, that's it. Yeah. They're not politicians. They're just billionaires. Like, why are they mm -hmm. why are they having mm -hmm. so much of a say in our political debates? Yeah. And it's because obviously they have a lot to fucking lose and they're going to do whatever they can to protect themselves. Which, yeah, it, I, I have a question for you as well, because I just watched this video. All right, ask that uh, question. So, yeah, I watched this video, and it was uh, kind of a discussion between two really progressive economists. Um, and basically one of them, I don't, I can't recall their names right now. Um, but basically one was, is very an advocate of socialist policies, very open about socialism. Um, and I actually w watch a few videos on him. He, I can't remember the thing of that he, the channel or whatever. But anyway, and then the other guy is basically an advocate against socialism, and not that he's like I'm not, not a socialist. But I think that the things that we're talking about need to not be called socialism because socialism has been so taboo, and we need to, okay. you know, like get that kind of language out of the conversation sure. and out of the political spectrum so that it'll be more viable for Americans to consume because they're not going to touch anything that has to do with socialism. Because anytime you say anything socialist, they say, Oh, guess what? You can't get rid of capitalism because that's communism and that's bad, you know, like, sure. And so it was kind of a debate between them. And, you know, like one side, the guy was like, no, we are socialists. We need to change the narrative around it. Socialism is not taboo. It's not anything bad. You know, like there's plenty of examples of it working. 
in unison with capitalism or in any in many ways you can use socialism you know and sure. it's not a scary word but the other guy's like no we need to get it out and not use it not advocate for it and advocate for these same things but just use change that different language. change the language around it because it's not true socialism you know like and mm -hmm. the things that they're talking about can be just formed in language around policy and stuff like that which could be more palatable to americans and i just was like the whole time i was just thinking about you um you know and because i see both sides of that coin but yeah at the same time i'm like no like i'm not afraid of the word i don't think people need to be afraid of the word i don't like changing appearances to make people more comfortable but at the same time i understand why that would be a good thing to do you know yeah so i, I just mean, it seems practical right and i think on i think you're asking me what do i think of changing the language or not yeah i think it seems practical on its face um i don't think it matters though because people are going to spend those policies um as socialists and i'm talking about people in mainstream media right wing left wing whatever they're going to spend those policies as socialists anyway. I mean, look at Joe Biden. Joe Biden never mentioned socialism ex except how anti-socialist he was. And he still got called a socialist by the right wing of our political media, right? Mm -hmm. So I think changing the language doesn't matter because it's now ingrained in our language. I think maybe if we did that in the 1990s or something, right? Like stopped using the word and maybe there was a practical benefit of advocating for these things. But I mean... You know, I, think, I don't think Bernie Sanders has been Bernie Sanders has been advocating for Medicare for all forever, and it's been demonized as socialist, right? Uh, but I also kind kind of agree with the viewpoint that right now American America does have a socialist system in like in a, in a weird way, in that like we do literally like taxpayers literally prop up business, <laughs> like we do. You know what I mean? Like these COVID relief bills. That's borrowing money from the Federal Reserve that we will eventually pay back as, as, the, as the mass of taxpayers do pay back these debts that America is taking on as a nation. Mm -hmm. So we, it is using government dollars, tax dollars, like state, the state is choosing winners and losers of industry. And what else is that than what socialism is accused of right as the state running the economy and if the state is choosing who gets loans who doesn't get loans who gets relief who doesn't get relief that is the state running the economy so it's not necessarily that i think the state is socialist it's that it's so ingrained business business people are so ingrained with our politics that those are obviously those two spheres of influence are roughly that same sphere right so i do think we have a socialist system now it just benefits the uh, the oligarchs let's call them right and it doesn't trickle like doesn't trickle down <laughs> so like the way i would say the language doesn't matter because there's also that same argument of like well, look at the Nordic socialist countries. And then there's the right-wing person of like, well, those aren't socialists. And it's like, okay, can we have things like that? No, that's socialism. Okay, what does the language matter then? I don't care what it's called. I want health insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so 
however it gets passed. I don't care. I don't, I, but I mean, me personally, I'm not abandoning, I will never abandon that language of Marxism because I think Marx and the socialist thinkers and the anarchist thinkers of his time and previous and after have provided a perspective that is important. It is an important opposition to our Chicago school style of economics that we see dominating in the United States. I think it's really important to understand we need to use this language because otherwise people aren't going to be able to go and find it. That's the language it is. And that's, that's how you learn more about it by using the language and respecting that. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, that's, that makes sense. And so many younger people are not afraid of that language. No. Um, so it's becoming less and less of a problem. Like it, we might just have to wait some of the older people out. Um, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, that's, that's, basically what you're saying is there's socialism for rich people and mm -hmm. for you know people in government and stuff like that and like high levels of government obviously yeah but not for us and that's the thing that bugs the shit out of me is people don't ever complain about that they'll complain about socialist policies that help individuals like working people but they don't ever complain about the socialism that we see and maybe they do maybe they do and they don't want any socialism at all and I'm like, okay, at least you're, you know, like consistent, but yeah. like if they can have it, we can have it too. We can all fucking have it. That's not a question. Yeah. Like we can. And the fact is, is once you would, were to benefit from that and live in that system, you probably wouldn't want it to change either. That's why those people fight yeah. so hard to make it not change because it's benefiting them so much right now. And if us getting some of that wealth is, you know, like, taking away from all their benefits that they have right now in society and even the playing field a little bit, of course they're going to protect it. Like that's what they're going yep. to do. But yeah, it's, I just thought it was an interesting question and I also thought it was kind of a waste of time, but it was interesting to watch, you know, and, and yeah, I think maybe if we abandon that language, we might find a little bit more unification on the left in certain ways, mm -hmm. but that doesn't really gain us any, ground you know what i mean because like as much as people were like when i was caucusing and other stuff you know like for bernie sanders people were like you know i really like all that bernie sanders says but i'm not going with him and yeah it doesn't matter what the language is it doesn't matter what we use that you know it's just those older people have a reluctancy either way yeah for sure um well i think that was a good talk and i just want to wish all our listeners um happy holidays and uh this will probably come out you know the 20 20 23rd 22nd around then um and if you celebrate christmas like jason and i do merry christmas but um first and foremost happy holidays and um we will see you guys in the new year um and i think jason and i have some big ideas for leftovers um at least leftovers podcast and anything uh, that we might associate with it in the future. And I think next year will be a really exciting year for content we produce um, with some of the ideas Jason and I have discussed. Yeah. So um, with that, uh, goodbye everyone. And yeah, happy holidays.